This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thanks for tuning in. I have, for as long as I can remember, at least uh, as an adult, admired four different groups of people. One, I admire great wits, the kind of people that are funny, the kind of people that have quotes that leave you repeating them years after you've heard them. That's one. Two, I have a fondness for spirits a bit more than I should. So I've always had a special place in my heart for bar owners and those that elevate the company of those they're around in a bar. Three, as a radio guy, I have an affinity for people that have mastered the craft and the art of talk radio. And lastly, as a lifelong New Yorker, the people that I've always had the most admiration for, the most respect for, and have always been in the most awe of, are these great New York characters, the people that have helped define New York, make it what it is, and who have this sort of symbiotic relationship where the city wouldn't be what it is without them, and they wouldn't be what they are without New York City. And I am very very, very pleased that my guest this morning is four for four. He is a veteran actor, writer, humorist, longtime radio talk show host, former pub owner, and uh, one of the most entertaining people that I've ever had the opportunity to meet or speak to, Malachi McCord. Malachi, it is great to talk with you. How are you doing? Well, any day above ground is a good one, Frank, and thank you very much. And, uh, Name Frank is very dear to me because I had a brother named Frank who did a nice job in a book called Angela's Ashes. But anyway, I always have that. Uh, there's a warm aura surrounds your name. So uh, thank you very much for asking me on to be your guest because I love, I lo- as we say in Ireland, the wireless, the radio. It's such a lovely medium so personal that nobody else can see it or hear it like you can yourself and it uh, and and what they talk about what makes me laugh is talk radio i have never heard of silence radio but then it does occur (laughs) (laughs) it's so absurd. <laughs> you uh, allude to your brother, Frank, who, who of course, ha- has written one of the most famous memoirs of all time, Angela's Ashes, and uh, has a special place in my heart, even though I've never met him, uh, not only because I'm a big fan of his literary work, because he was a teacher in my home borough, the place I've lived my entire life, in uh, in Staten Island, and he's still something of a, a legend out here. And we'll, we'll talk about Frank and uh, your relationship and the incredible country contributions you've both made to the literary world in a minute. But one of the reasons that I was prompted to have you on the radio, Malachi, is I read this uh, Facebook post that you would put up a couple of weeks ago, which was at the same time as only you can, both hysterically funny and incredibly sad. And it was all about how more or less you may or may not be dying and how you're in hospice for the, you know, your final days. What's life in hospice like? Well, I'm uh, next month, uh, Frank. You know your name in Gaelic is Pruncheus. 
I just thought you might like to know that. But, <laughs> but anyway, from Cheers, Frank, my, uh, like any one of us, uh, my days are numbered. I'll be 91 in, uh, in September, and I am extraordinarily lucky to be, uh, be alive. Uh, I have a disease called IBM, inclusive body myositis, which is uh, a, a, a muscular disease that takes away all your muscles. So I am, as they say, <laughs> I love the word, confined to a wheelchair. And I used to be a rugby player, a walker, and, uh, and all that kind of business. So anyway, that, that has taken away. I broke my leg. I also have cancer. And uh, uh, the uh, the IBM. Uh, what else? I have something. Oh yes, a very severe heart disease. So I got uh, uh, diagnosed, or they talked to me about my condition. And one doctor said, "Well, we'll put you. Uh, your outlook is not very good. So they are have they have me in this hospice thing, which is they put you." on observation for six months and if you that that's your uh, outlook that's your uh, anticipation of living and there's that and then there's the other thing is that you might live so now here's the thing i might die in six months the doc said or if i don't they'll take me off hospice so now I am four months into hospice, and uh, if I don't die in the next two months, and if I do die, they take me off hospice. So if you live beyond six months or you die beyond six months, they take you off the program. So I am, uh, at the moment anyway, in a state of dying, and uh, it's a sort of a thing that. I have heard, uh, Frank, that it's very common, and uh, because I see all kinds of things, all kinds of people are, uh, they, but they're not dying. They're 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 passing away. They're leaving us, no longer with us, with the Lord. And there are all sorts of euphemism. In America, they very, very rarely use the word uh, dying or death. And it uh, it amuses me that if people think that if they don't say the word, it won't happen. But it does, and, and that's the way it is. I'm the last uh, as, of seven. No, uh, please, I, I was just going to mention, you, you're something of an expert on the subject of dying. You wrote one of the best memoirs of, that deal with the subject of death that I've ever read. It's a terrific book, uh, which I do recommend, called Death uh, Need Not Be Fatal. And you re you mention in the book that you come from uh, a long line of dead people. And I guess that could be said for many of us. <laughs> I'm, that's not like anybody else. Everybody else comes from a long line of living people. But I come from a long line of dickers. Everybody around me is dying, and uh, and they should stop it. Really, it gets kind of uh, it, it kind of difficult to keep going to uh, <laughs> uh, memorials and and all of that. And they're always and I go to these memorials, and everybody, the, lots of my uh, uh, equals are dead, 
And uh, I'm expected to say nice things about uh, complete first-class ocean-going assholes. And uh, and it, uh, you have to, you have to be nice. And it's uh, and of course, nice is my favorite four-letter word. <laughs> no. I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, I, I, uh, but I'm not walking anymore. So and so confined to wheelchair. <laughs> Uh, Malachi, I had heard from our friend John McDonough, who is actually going to be on the show next hour, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking with him about a variety of issues, that uh, that you were thinking about doing a living wake so that you wouldn't have to be dead to wait until uh, to see what everybody was going to say about you. Well, what, where is that? Where are the plans for your living wake at the moment? Well, at the moment, they're in the uh, planning stage, but uh, I... I, I I would like, I'm not sure where I would have it or who, uh, and I don't know if I should uh, impose upon people to uh, speak at it, but I think uh, John McDonough, of course, he's the most eloquent of my co-hosts there, like yourself. He is a great, uh, great storyteller and a great radio man. And then there's uh, friends. I, I have friends, but I have no idea yet where uh, where I will be. I will. Uh, I, my my wish is to be uh, uh, ashes, uh, made ash, make an ash of myself, and that will uh, that will do for for that for that moment anyway. And uh, and I have a lot. I have. Uh, uh, five uh, children, grown. I have nine grandchildren and one great-grandchild. I don't know if they'll all be able to go. The one, the small, small, some small children among the, the grandchildren. But I think, I'll, uh, I think I'll stay above ground for a while. It looks like I'm going to go beyond the six months, and then I'll... Uh, return to the living and then start dying again and go back on. <laughs> on. Well, so I wonder what the process is. If they kick you out, if you live too long in hospice, at what point do they decide that you're dying enough to come back into hospice? Well, then you, the, the, the doctors have a look at you and they see if the cancer has progressed or if the heart has... Uh, sometimes it, when your your heart stops beating... They find out you're dead. Apparently, that's one of that's one of those diagnoses. Isn't that strange? Yes, indeed. You could be the the Grover Cleveland of hospice and serve two non consecutive terms there, which would be uh, which be would be very fitting of you. Now, um, a lot of people in our audience, Malachi, will remember your time on WMCA radio, and a lot of folks have talked about what an influence you you were on their own broadcasting careers, including uh, I think Howard Stern has said he was a big fan of yours in the WMCA days, based. On your time at WMCA, what, what do you remember as the fondest highlights of your tenure on talk radio in New York in the 70s? Well, I couldn't wait to hear what I had to say next because I never knew <laughs> and I didn't understand uh, what radio was all about. And uh, I mean, I just I, I just thought was uh, uh, speak as distinctly as you can, even though 
apparently I have some sort of a, an accent, despite the fact, Frank, that I was born in Brooklyn in Greenpoint Hospital in 1931, and I was taken to Ireland when I was three, and that's where I grew up. I didn't have any... Uh, we were, my, my father deserted us when I was very young, and so we were poverty-stricken, really. I mean, when people talk about poverty here, they don't understand. You don't have heat. You don't have light. You have very little food. We didn't. We we had a, a lavatory that was outside our door, which was shared by about sixteen uh, other families. And the stink from their buckets was was colossal. And so my two brothers died there. Eleven of my classmates died, and uh, we were many times we were extremely hungry. So I went to work when I was thirteen. But you know what, Frank, what saved our arses, my brother Frank and myself and Mike, was the coming of the Carnegie Library to Limerick. We joined. We didn't read books. We ate them. Hmm. And that was what our education was because I never went back. I never got a high school diploma or anything like that. Frank studied and got the GI Bill and faked his way into NYU, and he became a teacher and at McKee, uh, vocational out there, as you, as you mentioned. And then he went on to teach at Stuyvesant High School and became one of the most beloved and uh, knowledgeable, very good teacher, because he always looked at the, the whole educational system from uh, the point of view of the students, and there it was. And so it... Um, I am uh, 91 next next month. Uh, the outlook is, in any case, whether I'm diseased or not, the outlook is uh, is uh, short. And um, so I, I just, you know, you were saying about New York. I, I love this city. I love the vibrancy of it. I love the 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 multiplicity of of accents of 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 of, of uh, nationalities and uh, and the whole thing. Do you know what? Here's one thing which I um, which puzzles me a lot, uh, Frank. This thing about politics. Now, in the Latin, poly means many, and ticks <laughs> means blood sucking insects. <laughs> so we have we have many blood sucking insects. So that's one uh, derivation of it. (laughs) Well, Maliki, let me ask you, since you mentioned politics, it's these days, it it seems as if politics just uh, defines the lives of so many people uh, that take it seriously. And it's driven so much polarization in the country. Now, you are on the left. You've always been very, uh, very progressive and outspoken activist for a lot of left of center causes. You were even the Green Party candidate for for governor back in 2006, you lost to a fellow by the name of Elliot Spitzer, who apparently, as you've said, uh, beat you because he got more votes, which is uh, apparently uh, a strange thing. But um, back in those days when you were on WMCA, 
there were some very, very well-known conservative commentators on the station as well. People like Bob Grant, a little bit later, folks like Barry Farber. Were you friendly with the right-wing folks on the station, or did the political differences among you lead to acrimony in your personal and professional lives? Well, I, I, I can't, look, I am. I would be uh, uh, put in the position of uh, to the left, as you said, but I, I am to the left of Karl Marx. I'm so far to the left that the, 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 the communists are right wing. So um, I am uh, my whole thing. But anyway, that, of course, is uh, not uh, w- politics is here a group of certain citizens. It's just so simple. Decide that they are qualified to handle the money that people pay in what they call taxes. Now, I don't know how you can be right or left-wing about that. All you can be is uh, that you say, I can spend your money better than anybody else. So that's why. So what's left and what's right? I just don't understand it, that it, those appellations are placed on, placed on people. And what it is with me is if I like the person, their personality, and the sound sensible. And the main thing that I find anyway is about the best way of taxpayer, tax, tax, tax money ought to be put on uh, looking after, first of all, look after poor people uh, get, and, and get, get people a, a, a living wage uh, and that those who are multimillionaires should pay more, more corporations should pay, everybody should pay their, their fair share. And that's all, the, that's all there is to it, who, who can handle our money the best. I still can't figure out, is there, does it mean if you're a left-winger, you hand out the money with your left hand? Or if you're a right-winger, you <laughs> hand it out with your right hand? But how about just handing it out to those who need it and looking after our society, education, law enforcement, uh, uh, streets and lights and uh, and poverty and all that all should be taken care of. It's, it's such so, a simple thing. But the not but, but just, to me. To, to go back to the WMCA days, um, what was it like to work with someone like Bob Grant in those days? Bob Grant off, off, off the air was one of the most soft-spoken, polite people you ever met in your life. And uh, we were quite friendly because, in actual fact, Frank, I had no experience on radio, and he was brought in by Peter Strauss, who was called left-winger, but he put him on the air, and uh, he, he... Bob Cranby, get off the air, get off my phone, and all that kind of thing. My phone, he would say, as if it didn't belong to the station. And uh, so I, I listened to him, and I thought that's he. He knows radio, and that's where I learned. I learned, I listened to Bob Grant <laughs> avidly, and uh, I was uh, actually, actually quite fond of him. <laughs> 
the there was another fellow very young at the time who uh, also was considered very uh, new age very progressive uh, and uh, again another fellow that was a pioneer that uh, paved the way for a lot of folks that came after him by the name of uh, of Alex Bennett uh, i was just reminiscing recently about Alex Bennett with uh, with yeah. Jay Diamond who used to call into Alex Bennett's show doing a Spiro Agnew impersonation what what was That's it like right, working yeah. with Alex Bennett in those days well, I liked Alex, yeah. He was another one that was, uh, I mean, he knew the Beatles, and he knew everybody on uh, uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the progressive uh, society, or whatever it was, whatever we call it. But, but he knew, he, he was very, he was very popular. He had a youngish audience, and uh, they, they absolutely adored him. But I don't know why they fired him. I, I, I just figured that he was he had such a huge following. I, I was astonished at that. I was fond of Alexia. I I have lost contact. I don't know where he is or what he's doing, if he's still alive. Yeah, he is. If um, if you can stay alive another couple of weeks, I will pass on uh, your contact information to him, and uh, perhaps he'll uh, he'll reach out. In terms of um, where you know, I mentioned that book that you wrote, "Death Need Not Be Fatal," which will surprise no one, is incredibly informative and hysterical simultaneously. What made you choose to write a book about death? I mean, you've written a lot of books about subjects other than death, and certainly your literary bona fides are without question. Why choose death as a subject? Well, it's, uh, it's uh, no matter what, uh, and, and don't tell anybody this, but no matter what political belief you have, we're all going to die. But don't tell anybody that. Don't tell anybody that, okay? <laughs> That's between us, Frank. Uh, I, uh, I am uh, experienced in... Uh, I've experienced a lot of, uh, of death. And it is, uh, again, the euphemisms that are used, uh, they're not used here. And the whole thing about... Uh, uh, all that... Uh, obsession with uh, what do you do after death? Where do you go? There's heaven and there's hell, and they uh, it just is. Uh, and then and and the and the religious crowd try to terrify you with uh, their their things about you know James Joyce wrote about hell. He said that. What must consider what must be the foulness of the air of hell. Imagine some foul and putrid corpse that has lain rotting and decomposing in the grave, a jelly-like mass of liquid corruption. Imagine such a corpse a prey to flames devoured by fire, burning brimstone, giving off dense, choking fumes of no loathsome decomposition. And then imagine this sickening stench multiplied a million and a million again, a million and a million fetid carcasses massed together in the reeking darkness. A huge and rotting human fungus. Imagine all this and you have some idea of the horrors of the stench of hell. That was the kind of thing we grew up with, the Catholics in Ireland, <laughs> terrorizing us. <laughs> and it's, uh, 
Anyway, it just ever since my childhood, I've been fascinated by it, by, by the whole thing of death. And I thought, well, the inevitability is there are, and of course, there are two, two, two sides to every subject, which are either they're funny or they're grave. <laughs> and I find it, I find death funny. I'm not afraid of it. I don't give a fiddler's fuck about I, I don't believe in it at all. I mean, and I can't imagine they say that God is good and God is this. And, and then the, the other crowd say, Jesus loves you. Jesus wouldn't be allowed into America. He's a criminal. He was crucified for breaking the law. And they say that he would be welcome here. Jesus loves you. Ah, it's all a cuckoo, Frank. Well, and, and again, if you look at how Jesus probably looked, I mean, he would have been racially profiled like you wouldn't believe. I mean, let him get through an airport scanner and uh, and uh, make it onto into this country. And, and there, there's some problems with the TSA, that's for sure. But is death more difficult as an atheist? I mean, you you uh, talk about in your in several of your writings the journey that you had from being a Catholic to being a non-believer, as they say. I do think that uh, religion, for all its faults, it does provide some comfort when it comes to thinking about death. Death as an atheist seems just so final. Do you find uh, that you're reconsidering the whole atheism thing as you're forced to confront your own mortality? Well, I will give you the Irish thing there, uh, Frank. I'm an atheist, thank God. And that that amuses me no end. I... uh, not not uh, not having a religious belief or any kind of that uh, i it's, it's it verges on superstition and we as human beings have invented the idea of uh, of heaven and of hell i mean can you imagine they say that if you're hell you're burning as i just described there with with a fellow sticking uh pitchforks up your arse and all that kind of thing. And a God who is, you you go to heaven and you sit at, every good person sits at the right hand of God. And over on the left is myself and Karl Marx. But anyway, here's people saying, you sit at the right hand of God, uh, looking at him, gazing at him, adoring him, for all eternity. Now, I figured you'd get very tired of sitting there watching the hairs grow in God's ear, you know? So it is, it's just absurd to me anyway. So I'm um, dead and uh, it has no fears for me. It is, that's what I'm, I just said I will, I, I love my wife, Diana. She's a, a great, a great loving wife and all that. I'd be sorry to leave her and my kids. I have great kids, grandchildren. And uh, I have great friends, and um, I consider you a friend, John McDonough. And so it it all, and I just would like to be in, I would like while I'm alive to make life as good as I can. You know, I was uh, very involved in uh, your... uh, 
borrow there uh, and, uh, and 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 the whole Willowbrook situation. Sure, sure. And we, it was six thousand four hundred people there, living in absolute misery and disaster. And we managed to close that bloody place down. And now it is a place of learning run by a guy named Tim Lynch. Do you know he's the boss? He's the president. I, I know. Uh, yes, I'm very familiar with him. Absolutely. Yeah, you should have him on. I guess you will have him on. You already have him on. Absolutely. But anyway, he's a very erudite, well-spoken well, uh, man. But it is that... While I'm here on this earth, all I can do, I don't have much of the worldly goods of of this world, but I do uh, try and, uh, I try and, I, 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 do you know what, Frank, it, it, people say they hate, I never use the word hate. Uh, I find it, it's an obnoxious, awful word, so I can dislike something, but hate. And people say, you hate right-wingers, you I hate this. I can't, because when you hate something or some person, that makes them, that gives them power over you, mm. Mm. over the, what you think or feel or are. So therefore, I don't. Now, here's the word that I will use, despise, because despise is you put them down under you, and you stamp on them if you despise them. (laughs) (laughs) Maliki, we are just about out of time. If you can live another week or two, I'd love to do a a part two of this discussion because I have literally pages worth of of notes of things that I want to ask you about, about your advice on uh, raising a a son that's part Irish, about uh, your time uh, talking with folks like uh, like Jack Parr, your appearance in the film uh, Brewster's Millions with Richard Pryor. So if you can live another week or two, maybe we can continue this in the in short order. Well, I'm very honored, uh, Frank, that you uh, have asked me on in the first place. And to uh, actually tolerate me coming on again is beyond my uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, beyond my expectations. But anyway, I just say any any day above ground is a good one, and continued success to yourself, and uh, keep going in the in the wee hours of the morning, being uh, number one at ABC. I once hosted a show there. Uh, on ABC years ago, I forget who was who owned it then. But anyway, somebody did. But uh, it was uh, I didn't last. <laughs> I got I've I, I'm, I'm I've had about a hundred uh, get firings I think in my life. But anyway, that's life. So long as I don't get fired or alive at the moment. I'll, I'll stick around. <laughs> Malachi McCord, if you want to check out his book, Death Need Not Be Fatal, it's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And uh, uh, an earlier version of uh, of one of Malachi's books, Among Swimming, is uh, still available. It's uh, recently been re-released, as I understand it, and it's still just yes. as amusing today as it was when it was released. Malachi, uh, let's talk again soon. Stay alive as long as you can, if for no other reason uh, my, than my, my convenience. My thanks to you, my dear man. Uh, and to you and the little fella and the missus, uh, health and love continue on thank, with you. Many thanks. Thank you, ver- 
Thank you very much. This has been a real treat. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com. 